Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at a worship service Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, or Sunday mornings at 9 or 11. Good morning, church. Morning is good, and uh, I want to commend you all for coming to church, and you're not at home watching the final of the World Cup. No spoilers, please, okay? <laughs> Don't be looking at your phones while I'm preaching. I know some of you are like diehards, so. But anyway, um, it's a good day today to worship God, and um, this weekend we're, we're kind of moving away from the book of Acts, and we thought we would uh, spend some time uh, dealing with the subject of worship. And worship is, is, is something that people have different perspectives about, depending on how you grow up or um, your orientation to church. I personally, I grew up in a mainline denominational church, Episcopalian, Anglican, whatever you want to call it, that's where I grew up. And so my earliest recollection, recollections of worship were, um, you know, the... Stained glass, vaulted ceilings, pipe organ, big choir, big sound in there of, of voices just, you know, praising God. And then uh, around junior high age, I started going to an outreach for a local Baptist church, and they used to pick us up from home, which was very convenient. So they'd pick us up, and in that environment, there were more these uh, kind of like gospel songs. Uh, there were hymns as well, but... In that environment, it was mostly accompanied by piano. And so I got to learn a lot of the Southern Gospel songs through, through that environment of worship. Then I gave my life to Christ at the age of 14. And uh, I got involved with a charismatic church. And in that charismatic church, I noticed that the choruses were more simple and more repetitive. And there was more excitement and exuberance. And, and there was less formality in terms of the liturgy, in terms of the way the, the service was structured. So in all these environments, I've really experienced all kinds and different uh, expressions of worship, if you will, in terms of the church. And for those of you who are new here this morning, I, you, know, you may be coming to Hope Chapel. You see us raising hands. You see us sometimes getting a little wild here. Um, uh, and you may be wondering, you know, is this legit? You know, is this, is, this, is this biblical? Is this right? And so I want to kind of, in a simple way, I, I, this is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination because worship is a very, very extensive subject, but I'm, I'm trying to give you a simple, simple synopsis of what worship is all about and why we do it the way we do it here at Hope Chapel so that everybody is, is on the same page. Does that make sense? So for those of you that have been around a, a while, uh, this will be kind of a great reminder, uh, hopefully a great encouragement, uh, that all of you would really engage worship, uh, you know, with all your heart, wholeheartedly, that uh, it's something that we have a privilege of doing that is, is amazing, is amazing. And I hope you'll see that as we, as we talk about it this weekend. Um, so uh, worship at the basic level has to do with access on one side and relationship on the other. Approved or right access to God on the one side and ongoing relationship with Him through worshipful service on the other. Let's look at a definition of worship. The English def dictionary definition is that it's ascribing worth to something or someone. 
ascribing worth to something or someone. And, and that's kind of narrow when you, when you go into the Bible and you look at what it really is all about. And in the Bible, I would sum it up this way. The Bible has this kind of way of looking at worship. That worship is really about responding, rightly responding to the revelation of the triune God. Rightly responding to the revelation of the triune God. That's what the Bible seems to sum it, sum worship to be. There's a quote by William Temple. He lived from 1881 to 1944, and he has some writings. And I put them, I put a quote in your bulletin so that you would have it with you, readings in St. John, St. John's Gospel. He says, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Pretty deep and big and profound, right? Um, but before we can even begin to worship, I want to say this. Um, before we can take the first step, there are some preconditions that grant us the ability to worship in a way that God deems suitable. The first one is that we have to be born again. We have to be regenerate. And that we have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and have received his free gift of salvation by trusting in him and his saving work on our behalf. Amen? That's, that's the baseline. And then that we have, through faith and by his saving grace, seen ourselves as utterly helpless in our sin and in need of his forgiveness and transforming power to make us alive to God by his spirit. Another is that our lives are submitted to him as Lord, that we see our lives are not our own, and that we have been bought with a price, that we belong to Christ, and this is fundamental. So the basis, the basis or foundation of New Testament worship is the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. That's the basis. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Basically, you cannot truly worship God in a manner acceptable to Him if you come presuming that your righteous deeds or works are what makes you a worthy worshiper. Or that because you were a good person this week, or you did not cuss as much this week, or treat anyone in an ill manner, that somehow your worship is honorable before God. The fact is, there is only one basis that God accepts our worship, and that is by the cross, by the cross of Jesus. Remember the woman at the well? In John 4, what did Jesus tell her? Let's read it. Let's go together and read John chapter 4, verse 19 through 24. Jesus was on his way to Galilee, and he went through Samaria, and he had this encounter with this woman. The woman said to him, Sir, you know, after he had pretty much read her mail, you know, about her life. I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Her problem was, for her, worship was about location, right? It was about location. Our fathers said to worship on this mountain. Her problem also was that worship was about tradition, our fathers. And Jesus said, no, worship is not about that. You do not know what you worship. You don't have relationship with God. You don't have relationship with him. You don't know him. He said, the father is seeking those to worship him, that worship him in spirit. They have to have the same substance. They have to be alive to him. The only way you can know the father is by the spirit. Amen. And then you worship him, and that's the only way we can worship him in truth. So that's the basis. The basis is our salvation by grace through faith, that we become alive to God in Christ. Through what Jesus did, we have access to and relationship with God the Father by believing in Christ, by putting our trust in him. Jesus is the door. He is the way. All the ceremonial worship in the Old Testament was prescribed as a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. All the sacrifices at that time were limited in their effectiveness and scope. How many times did the high priest go every year? Once. Could he enter the Holy of Holies? But Jesus went, as it were, into a temple not made with hands. He went into the heavenly one and made the sacrifice of his body once for all and all for us. Hebrews 9, verse 12, it says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, chapter 24 through 26 for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor is it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen? Now this reality, this reality should prompt in us a great sense of awe and gratitude and praise to God that we have this kind of access because of what Jesus did. Not only do we have this kind of access, but we have been changed. We have been made new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Those who have been born again, as those now who have unfettered access to the throne of grace, why then do we come sometimes haltingly or carelessly or perfunctorily or just apathetically? Why? 
We have the greatest privilege, church. We have the greatest privilege. Something the prophets of old longed to see. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 17. Is this making sense? I hope it is. So our foundation is the gospel of redemption and faith in Jesus. Without it, without that, our exercise in worship is just meaningless. It's just meaningless. We are just wasting our time as far as God is concerned. Now let's go to the object. What's the object of our worship? I say, who is the object? The object of our worship is Christ. The primary focus or center of New Testament worship is Jesus Christ himself. We sing his words. We sing his gospel. We project it. We graphically portray it. We enhance the presentation of it with color themes and lights and creative music and musical style and all. But I want to just say that those things, the focus is not the medium that is used the lights, the graphics, etc. They are just vehicles to help communicate in an excellent way, in an environment that is conducive, the greatness and majesty of Christ. It's important for us to understand that all the ways and means we use to glorify God in worship are not an end in themselves. They're just vehicles, tools to help us, inspire us, to, to prompt us to appreciate the majesty of our Savior. Amen? I'm going to read to you some scriptures Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. It says of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things are created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen? Another one, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. By the way, it's okay to respond to me. All right. I just want to give you permission to say amen, hallelujah, whatever you want to say. Okay. With me? Totally fine. <laughs> Hebrews 1, chapter 1 through, uh, verse 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen? Amen. Now this leads us to the purpose. Why do we worship? Why do we worship? The first thing... It's commanded. It's commanded. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, 
with all your soul, with all your strength. The first commandment. We are dependent on God's grace and goodness, without which we are lost. The Bible says the rain falls on the, the just and the unjust. Even non-believers are dependent on His provision as much as the birds of the air. The psalmist says, and this is, by the way, the, the psalm that really is, is the shortest chapter in the Bible, and it is located right in the middle of the Bible. Right in the middle. This is the center verse. Uh, sorry, sorry, chapter. Psalm 117, verse 1 and 2. In fact, we have a song that goes, some of you remember it, right? Praise the Lord, all nations, extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise Him, all ye... Anyway. That's the song. This Psalm 96, okay? Psalm 96. I love this psalm. And I'm going to ask us, as it's on the screen, let's read it together, shall we? You get the, the magnitude of this. Let's together say, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Amen? You, you see how grand that expression of praise is? It's telling all the peoples, all nations, all ethnic groups, and it goes all the way to creation. Trees, birds, mountains, everything. Give glory to God. And then I love the, the last verse of the Psalms. Psalm 150 and the last verse. I want us to read it together. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen. Praise God. Okay. Number two. Second, second purpose is to celebrate and testify about Jesus. Jesus is the object, but we're here to celebrate and testify about Him. To make Him known who He is and what He's done for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the what? Excellencies, and some translations, the praises 
the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In our worship, we are declaring the testimony of God's transforming work in our lives. We are rehearsing its truth like the Israelites did. When they were delivered out of Egypt, remember the song of Moses? We too have been delivered from the domain of darkness and have been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Amen. Number three is to instruct and strengthen and encourage. To instruct, strengthen, and to encourage. When we come together, it's very encouraging for all of us to sing together. It encourages our faith as we're reminded together of, what, of who our Lord is and what he has done for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, it says in, in Paul's discourse to the church in Corinth on all orderly worship, he said, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and let all things be done for what? Building up, for strengthening, for building. Colossians 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, 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 you see, singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now we have a wonderful sacred music tradition that goes back hundreds of years in the church. Hymns that were written to not only encourage but to teach and rehearse the fundamental doctrines of the faith. A lot of those initial hymns, by the way, were written by pastors. Charles Wesley, um, Isaac Watts. Um, there, there's just a lot of people that were very theological in their thinking that wrote these, uh, these hymns. Because in that time, remember, the, the issue of literacy was, was a problem. And so in order to teach doctrine, people were taught these songs so that they could memorize them and they could rehearse doctrine. Much, much more easily. Uh, I think of Fanny Crosby's wonderful hymn, um, Blessed Assurance. All right? Remember this? I just love this. Blessed Assurance. You know the song? Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And what's the chorus? This is store. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. Oh, you sound great. You sound beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Or the, the third stanza of uh, the song, the wonderful hymn, It Is Well. Let's read it together. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. I love that. I love that. Every time I sing it, I say, I love, yes, yes. At Hope Chapel, we have our own ad adaptations to Scripture in song uh, that we sing from time to time, like Psalm 63. Some of you know 
Oh God, you are earnestly. Uh, see, you know it. Seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body. See, you know it. See, you're singing scripture. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And we have new ones, like the, the song we sing, Son of God. Son of God. Uh, all these songs should not only help, but, but encourage us and remind us and help affirm what we believe. Amen? Amen. The fourth purpose is to herald Jesus' return. Jesus' return. We see this in Revelation. Revelation 22, 17, and 20. It says, The Spirit and Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. And the church, the bride, repeat, says, Come, Lord Jesus. Our worship is prophetic in that it is heralding the future return and reign of Jesus. This is where we're headed. Soon and very soon, we are going to see, that's right, we're going to see the king. We sing that every Easter, and I never get tired of it, because it's reality, and it's heralding his return. It's prophetic. One of these days, the heavens are going to be split open, and we will see the risen Lord in all of his glory, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's not going to be coming as the Jesus loves me, this I know kind of Jesus. Right? He's going to be coming in power. He's going to be coming in power. And so we are heralding that. For those of us who know him and worship him, that will be a great celebration. It will be time to pate. But those of us who don't know him, oh boy. Jesus said there'll be gnashing of teeth. They'll be just shaking, literally shaking. Like, oh my goodness, you know. So as much as our brightest minds in our world today are trying to come up with a solution to save not only the planet and bring peace in the world, there will not be true peace until the Prince of Peace himself reigns in our hearts and establishes his kingdom fully on the earth. Amen? Amen. So what's the goal? What's the goal? What, what are we, you know, what's this all about? This leads to the ultimate goal of our worship. Through greater intimacy and knowledge of Jesus, we grow in grace and we become more like him. And God the Father is glorified. We're brought into close communion with the Father, and this is the Father's will, that we become more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 Verse 12 through 18, it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that is the Jews, that same veil remains unlifted because only, get this, only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, hallelujah, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, the church, all of us who trusted in Christ, we 
we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Somebody say hallelujah. Can you imagine that worship plays a role in that? God is doing a transformative work to make us more like His Son. Hallelujah. That is so awesome. So let's talk about the hindrances real quick. The things that get in the way. The things that are stumbling. I think the first one is that making worship itself the center. When we start to worship, worship. We live in an entertainment culture. And it's very easy to slip into this kind of a mode. Where we value the experience, we value, um, you know, all the trinkets and the bells and whistles that we put around it more than the object himself. Does that make sense? God is not impressed with how wonderful our expression of worship is if, conditional, if our hearts are not in the right place. Now we see this because in the, in the Old Testament... Prophet Isaiah indicts Israel for this very kind of thing. Isaiah 29, verse 13 and 14. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are what? Far, far from me. And their fear of me, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. That's not a statement of positive. This is a statement of judgment. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So God brings judgment on Israel for that kind of worship. The second one is overly magnifying the tools of worship. And this is kind of ties into the first point, the songs, the technology, the experienced environment. Now, the Bible does not hinder those things. That's why we use them. We, you know, we have all kinds of trinkets here that we use for worship. Um, uh, sophisticated instrumentation, but they can become hindrances if they become center stage to the exclusion of exalting our God. We're praying that our musicians here, you love, you love uh, Justin and Sam and, and Gene and, and Shelly. And <laughs> yes, let's give them <laughs> amen. Yeah. And... Yeah, and, and, and Mark and Evilio and, oh, just everybody here. They're just amazing. But we're, we're trusting that they're doing it for God's glory and not for their fame, right? Uh, in the entertainment world, they do it for their fame. Over here, we do it as glory to God. In fact, you guys are the worship team. We're just to help facilitate. We're just to help facilitate. We're, we're to help point you. You guys should be singing the loudest. <laughs> really. You guys are the worship team. In God's eyes. The second, oh, the third thing is sinful attitudes. Pride, apathy, thanklessness are the common ones. The Bible tells us to give thanks in all circumstances for it's God's will for us in Christ. Uh, the fourth is a spirit of heaviness. Sometimes you may be weighed down with burdens and of life so that your joy in worship of Christ is, effect, is affected. I want you to read with me in Isaiah 
chapter 61, verse 1 through 3, and, and Jesus quoted this in Luke chapter 4 about himself. He said, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of what? Instead of what? A faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen? So if you're way down in spirit, if, if you come to church sometimes and yeah, I just, I don't know, I just got so much going on. I don't know why I should raise my hands. Alan's telling me to raise my hands again. I don't want to do it. Oh, man. And, and they're not playing my, my song. I, I was hoping that, that Alan would sing, you know, how great is our God, and they're not doing it today. I'm just really bummed today, you know. It happens, right? So if you're coming and you're just weighed down, and put them at the foot of the cross. Come to Jesus. He will give you rest. Amen? He's the one who gives a garment of praise to those whose hearts are weighed down in trouble and overwhelming trials. It's truly a blessing to witness another believer when they're in abandoned praise in the midst of trial. And I see it all the time here at church because I look out and I know some of what you guys are going through and I say, wow, and I see a big smile and I see an engagement of worship knowing that you're going through cancer or you're going through trouble or you're going through trial. It's a great, I don't know, encouragement to me and I know it's a blessing to God. We are a blessed people. And I think we don't fully appreciate the value of this wonderful, wonderful privilege and access to God that we have through Christ. I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been encouraging, strengthening, and uplifting to you. Um, I'm going to invite us to pray right now. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for giving us this tremendous access. And Lord, as we come to you right now in communion, I pray, God, that our hearts would be once again turned to you, that if there is any wicked way in us, that we would deal with it before partaking of the table. Be glorified, we pray, in our hearts, in Jesus' name. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.